Hello, everyone. Welcome to Executive Report. Uh, today, we are blessed to have Jane Miller with us. Uh, she's going to tell us about all the exciting stories she's gotten to cover over the years. But with, before we jump into that, let me read a quick bio. So Jane is well known in the Baltimore metropolitan area for her long tenure with WBAL-TV. She's been a reporter with the station for more than 35 years, first as a general assignment reporter, and now as chief investigative reporter for the 11 Investigates I-Team. Her work has has uncovered corrupt political officials and unethical practices in private business. Frequently, Jane's reporting has resulted in changes in legislation and public policy and has raised issues of accountability and effectiveness of the criminal justice system. Her work has earned national and regional awards in journalism. Among others, she's won the DuPont Award from Columbia Journalism School, a national Edward R. Murrow Award. She's twice been named by Baltimore Magazine as one of the 50 most powerful people people in the region and been recognized as the most influential person by the Daily Record. And most recently, she's been honored with the RTDNF's Lifetime Achievement Award. So Jane, welcome to Executive Report. Thanks, Steve. Nice to be here. <laughs> so I have to ask you, you've been in this industry for quite a long time and you've obviously made- 47 your... years. <laughs> and... No, you really think about it. It's like, it, it starts to dawn on you, you know- Actually, I'll tell you one of the reasons is okay. because Netflix has been doing this um, a, a limited episode series on Three Mile Island, the nuclear accident, oh, yeah, which right. I covered right. early in my career. <laughs> and it has a picture. I mean, it has some real footage of the coverage of the accident. And there I am at the age of 20, whatever, um, you know, covering one of the news conferences early in the course of those events. It was wow. a very challenging Career. But it, but at any rate, it's a kind of a reminder <laughs> of how long. So yeah, I thought the other day it's forty-seven years. Well, it's and, 47 and years. you've really become a, a Baltimore icon in that sense. Uh, everyone knows your name for <laughs> for good reasons. <laughs> but I, I'm curious how it all started. I mean, was this like a childhood dream that came to fruition, or is it just an you evolutionary know, I, thing? A lot of folks ask me, you know, what do you tell folks who want to be a journalist or reporter or whatever? And I say, look, if you're not curious. Mm -hmm. It, don't bother. It, you know, I was the kid, grew up in a really small town. We had a volunteer fire company. Um, when that fire siren went off at night, I was the first person out the door to figure <laughs> out what was going on. So I think, first of all, it was the nature of just, you know, curiosity. Okay. Um, and I also grew up, you know, at a time of great turmoil in the country. Mm -hmm. And we had a civil rights movement. We had, you know, women's rights going on, all of this you know, at the same time. And then I was at, in college during Watergate. Oh, wow. And I, actually, that's another thing you're you <laughs> interested in Watergate. There's a uh, star is streaming a, a whole series on Martha Mitchell, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Not to shill for all these, you know, but, but there's a lot going on right now of historic mm -hmm. record. And certainly Watergate was a very prominent theme yes. of the early 1970s. And um, but I, even without Watergate, I, I just, I declared journalism as my major at Penn State. I went to work for a newspaper before I graduated from Penn mm -hmm. State and then um, got a job in a small station in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, first job in TV. I'd never been inside of a television station <laughs> when I got the job. So it was, you know, all new and all different and at a, and at a very uh, fast moving time in television news. Yeah. So, I mean, I imagine you probably had some preconceptions about what it would be like to be a reporter. Um, you know, that's interesting. I don't remember that. I, um, 
you know, the, the training of in a journalism curriculum mm -hmm. at Penn State was good. And, you know, it had a lot of different ways that you could learn to write. And we didn't have a lot of um, broadcast experience. Okay. I, I, I actually got a job as a trainee at a television station in Harrisburg. And I think I got the job because I could shoot film. Oh. Okay. And I actually had worked as a commercial photographer during my years at Penn State as well. So I had a lot of experience on the photography side hmm. and, uh, and was able to combine the two to get started. Got it. Now, that was a very different time in television. Um, there, there weren't a lot of women in the business. I was the first full-time news reporter, female news reporter in my newsroom. That's really? correct. Did a lot you, of women doing weather. Did, did you find that difficult? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little. A uh, oh, yeah. I mean, it was a... Um, it, it's kind of a lonely place. Oh, and okay. um, it, the other problem is that when you're like, for example, there was a story that I was covering. I don't know what year it was, 76, 77, that the VFW was deciding whether to admit female members. Oh, wow. The Veterans of Foreign Wars. And they had a convention in Harrisburg and I was promptly escorted out. Really? Um, sure. Because, you know, they hadn't voted and they didn't want any women in the building with them. So... Yeah, it was different. The the glass ceiling was relatively thick, mm. and there were there were no women in management mm. at that time. That has really changed now. It's yeah. been changing, um, but yeah, it was it was definitely pioneering days um, in terms of the work. And you know, my dad always tell me anything they can do, you can do better, mm -hmm. and that kind of drove me um, as a young reporter and mm. and early in my career. And you know, to really buckle down and and really work hard at it. Yeah. Well, and I think um, even today, there, there's a lot of conceptions about media, uh, especially when it comes to media bias, mm. and, you know, political agendas and all those types of things. And Deservedly that, so in many cases. Exactly. And a lot of that seems to be focused on national media more than local. Mm. It's is it, is, it, is it going back and forth? You're, you're, yeah. No, well, no, I think you're seeing this as, um, you know, kind of a trend. Mm. Yeah you know, across all forms of media that, you know, there's a clear agenda in some mm -hmm. cases, there are clear biases in yeah. some cases. It's unfortunate. Uh, I'm old school at this and, you know, we was, was taught and trained and, and really have practiced in objectivity, accuracy, fairness, mm -hmm. you know, has been my, you know, guiding principles all these years. And, and I, I, it's hard because you see what is going on around you and, um, it's it's like people only want to watch something if they agree with it. Mm -hmm. That's true. And if you're not doing something that makes them agree with it, then, you know, you kind of have a rough time of it. Yeah. And and I'm curious, why do you think that that environment is kind of built upon itself? Oh, God, what do we have? How much time do you have? <laughs> I think a lot of things have happened um, over time uh, that are in some ways kind of colliding at the same moment. Hmm. Social media has had a lot to do with this uh, because it, it has accelerated the spread of misinformation. Mm -hmm. First, it's accelerated the spread of information. Th then it's also spread, accelerated the spread of misinformation. Um, and that has gotten, I think in the last two years, has gotten worse because of the pandemic. I mean, that has been a battle every day in terms of trying to fight back misinformation. Um, I think politically, the the country is way more polarized than it was than in anybody's experience. 
Not that it wasn't, but it's all out in the open. And um, again, you know, the ability of social media, the internet, the ability to communicate so quickly with with others, et cetera, has, you know, kind of, you know, brought that to the fore. I am, uh, I'm, it's concerning, honestly, that that we are in a place that is this very deep divide uh, in between, you know, kind of one side or the other. There's very little room in the middle. Um, it's not that there's not room in the middle. There are very few people there or yeah. seemingly there. And, you know, so this has been, this has been something that has been um, developing, I think, over the past 10 years in particular. Got yes. it. Got yes. it. So, I mean, I, I'm certainly not old enough to remember civil rights movements and mm-hmm. all those types of things, but I do know that the country does seem to be more divided now mm-hmm. than ever. Uh, and I do think of it is a lot of it is based on false information. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, it's, it's, it's false information and it's distorted information mm-hmm. as well. Okay. Um, but yes, I, I think you're, you're absolutely correct. There, there is, there is a really pervasive, um, attempt by some to spread misinformation and false information, and there's a willingness to believe it, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it at the same time. Yeah, because it, it pulls off the emotion mm-hmm. that you, you particularly want to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that there's a real answer for it. Like, how do you correct mm-hmm. it? That's a really good question. Um, what tends to correct is when things don't sell. <laughs> that is true. So as long as there's an appetite... Um, then I think we'll see this. Okay. If there is at some point um, a diminishing appetite for platforms and purveyors of mm-hmm. misinformation dis- and disinformation, then I think you'll see less of it. But we're not there yet. No. I mean, there's some interesting things that are going on. I mean, Facebook is having a tougher time having younger users. That's true. Um, you know, Twitter, God knows what's going to happen with that because of Elon Musk. It, who knows? I yeah. mean, that's kind of up in the air. I think that generally there is a uh, kind of pulling back. I don't want to say this is a big move, but, there, but I think there's some pulling back from social media use. I know I have because yeah. it's just so toxic in many ways. Uh, and I think over time we'll have to see how that plays out. So, I mean, those, those social media platforms are really the main spreaders of misinformation, whether they want to be or not. That's what people use to spread misinformation right. and false information. So, you know, I think that we'll just have to see how that plays out. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, with the dynamic of social medias and other Internet-based platforms mm-hmm. compared to local newscasts. Well, first of all, we're a regulated industry. That's right. Um, and that makes a difference, yep. uh, big difference. So <laughs> I think that you know, local television stations in particular, for the most part, uh, have really tried to be a, a fair and objective vehicle for information. You know, I know during the pandemic, I mean, we worked like crazy to understand what we were dealing with. And that wasn't easy. Hmm. Uh, there was a lot of misinformation being spread by the administration at the time. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't easy. You really had to be able to vet some of the information that was being presented. Um, fortunately, in our region, we have excellent healthcare institutions and public health um, professionals that were really helpful for us in terms of uh, daily providing mm-hmm. information because that was obviously a very changing situation that, yeah. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a 
quick thing. I no. mean, this started and we're still at it. You know? So, it was. Uh, but I think that's what I mean. I think that if this is all about what what consumers consume, and as long as there is a market for, you know, kind of this really crazy stuff, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of it, then I, you know you're going to see it. Uh, as long as it gets people elected, <laughs> you're going to see it. Yeah. If people start stop using it and you know use less of it then you'll you'll probably see less of it and and you've done a lot of reports over the years on elected officials um a lot of good reports Mm -hmm. and some that are showing some things that shouldn't be happening and one of the topics that always seems to come up as of late is specifically about baltimore city and the downward spiral that it seems to be stuck in especially over the last six to ten years and I'm just curious. You've been in this in this town for a while. Uh, have you ever seen it this bad? <laughs> uh, Baltimore City is not in a six to ten year downward spiral. Mm. Baltimore City has been in a declining situation for the past forty years. Mm. Okay. Um, and people seem to forget um, that this the violent crime situation has been going on for. 30 to 40 years. We were wow. we went through the entire decade of the 90s with 300 plus homicides in Baltimore City. That's right. That's the right. entire decade of the 90s. So from where I sit and the reporting that I've done for all these years, I mean, I've been in Baltimore 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, this What you're seeing now is, is simply kind of the likely, it should be the expected result. Yeah, the continuation of. Sure. Yeah. We, didn't, we didn't curb violence then, so what was going to stop it from just continuing to, you know, up and down, up and down, and then, you know, we hit an event in 2015 with the death of Freddie Gray that mm-hmm. was, a lot of people say, oh, well, that's when this started. No, no. that was really the middle of the story. <laughs> um, I mean, that was, that happened with, after years of disinvestment, abandonment, um, lack of opportunity, and housing insecurity, and you name it. I mean, all of these things are very much in play in Baltimore City. So um, I I know there is a very strong media narrative in this region Mm -hmm. that Baltimore City is bad, Baltimore City has gotten worse, and it's been the last 10 years. It's, what, what is going on in Baltimore City is the cumulative result of never addressing the loss of opportunity, the loss of jobs, the deteriorating housing stock, other public health factors that, um, and the, the and population loss. Yeah. I I did a story last week, just very recently, um, about the new the the mayor of Baltimore is really pushing to have more a, a more expanded community yeah. violence intervention effort, and. It, it, God knows if any if we'll have the patience to let this to see if this can work. Um, and in that story, I, d- I looked at some census analysis mm-hmm. in the areas in West and Northwest Baltimore that have had the historically highest levels of gun violence. There are maybe 20 census tracts. The population loss in those census tracts since 1990 is 51%. Really? Yeah. So. My point of this is these communities are so hollowed out that there's 
some of the old police commanders, and I talk about this in the 90s when we had shooting after shooting after shooting and you know, high homicide level, the difference was communities were still much stronger mm. than they are now. The communities where it happens. And you know, it's kind of the question, which comes first, the chicken and the egg? Did the violence get high and people left? Or did people leave and the violence got, I mean, who knows? But, yeah. but that's the fact, that these are v- v- the, the depopulation in the most challenged areas in Baltimore City, which is probably a good thing, yeah. because we really w- don't want people living in these situations. But it's a profound depopulation. And that only exacerbates the uh, problem of, of not having community support, yeah. not having community infrastructure to be able to provide resource support, et cetera, um, when you've got this kind of crisis. Hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I don't think there's an easy solution to it. Um, it took us 40 years to get here. It'll probably take us, you know, at least 20. Oh, it's taken more than 40. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's going to take at least yeah. 20 to well, get out it, of it. There, there are, look, Here's the other thing. There are all kinds of things about Baltimore City that are good yes. and are happening and are improving. I, I did a story last month on the 20-year-long redevelopment of East Baltimore, mm-hmm. which has been going on for 20 years. Yeah. And and the reason we did the story is because it's an example of kind of what it takes to really re, rebuild and transform a neighborhood that was had suffered abandonment and disinvestment, um, and to have a plan and to have a real strategy. Now, it also is using anchors, existing anchors, Johns Hopkins, oh, yeah. the train station. So this is the area between those two institutions, if you can imagine that, that is undergoing. If you go in that area mm-hmm. now, you'll be like, whoa, yeah. what happened here? You know, um, We have one of the best and, and largest ports in the country. Yep. We have world-class healthcare institutions, and it is a city that has tremendous assets in many ways. The problem is this kind of negative narrative just, you know, wipes out um, any real consideration of some of the things that are going on. That is not to diminish it. I mean, every city that is seeing this pervasive level of violence um, has to... Really, we all have to figure out how to get this level of violence under control, mm-hmm. um, and and no one has quite figured that out yet. Nice. And that's that is a it's it's troubling. Yeah. We now we have at least we're having a conversation about guns. Uh, at least a conversation. Mm-hmm. That horse is probably out of the barn <laughs> in terms of the. Uh, number of guns that are in circulation in this country. Yeah. Well, with all that being said, um, you've been here for quite a while, so there's got to be something here that you like. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) It's a great city. Yeah. I mean, uh, what is it about the community that you really love that you get up and you say, I'm I'm glad to live here? Um, Well, first of all, um, it's a waterfront city. That makes it, it's a beautiful setting. It is a a city that has every urban challenge. If you have any interest in public policy Mm -hmm. and covering public policy, um, covering urban America, this is, you know, it, it's a great city for that. Obviously, yep. it, uh, it's, it's had, it's got, it has the whole history of racial segregation mm-hmm. written into it. Yep. I, I mean, you don't have to go any further than Baltimore <laughs> to read it um, and to see it. Uh, I also think that it is uh, small enough that it has kind of that sense of really strong neighborhoods, yes. but big enough to offer lots of things to do. And 
you know, great restaurants and cultural institutions, baseball team that's coming back, <laughs> yes. football team that we'd really like to see, you know, uh, obviously very popular. <laughs> and I mean, there's, there, there are a lot of things that are really, you know, that have been very, they're very positive about the ball tour. There's no question about that. I'm not the only one that thinks that. No, I, I <laughs> There are a lot of people that have a lot of faith in it. And I, th I think, but at the end of the day, it's, it's the people of a city that make it what it is. Mm -hmm. And Baltimore is full of characters. And uh, it's, it's, been, it's just been a really interesting place in which to live and work. Yeah, that's for sure. So I'm born and raised in Northeast Baltimore City. So there you I'm go. very familiar with it. Yep. Uh, went to Catholic high schools mm -hmm. and schools around the area. So, But I, I will say, um, I, I don't have plans of moving. I love the area. Right. I love the football I've been teams. a city resident, city homeowner since 1990. Since there, yeah. Actually, I lived in the city when I first got here. Uh, in 1979, then I was in Washington for a couple of years, then I lived in Columbia for a couple of years, <laughs> and uh, came back in 1988 and, and bought property in 1990, and I've been in city homeowner since. <laughs> so with all that being said, um, uh, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, you're, you're at a particular stage in your career. Yes, right, correct. <laughs> uh, Looking what, back and thinking, right, evolved, right, correct. What does the future hold for Jane Miller? Where do you expect yourself to be five or 10 years from now? You know, that's a good question. I mean, I'm, I am heading to retire <laughs> and uh, from, from television news, okay. or at least the currently, my current situation in television news. Uh, but I'm already thinking about um, some documentary work to do, some okay. other things that I would really like to do. I, you, you hear me talk a lot about urban development. I do. And that is something that I have a real interest in, and community development. Um, and, and that's partly because in my non-work time, I'm on the board of the Canton Community Association. Mm -hmm. I'm involved in community work. I understand, I understand, have a deep understanding of the value of strong communities. Mm -hmm and strength in communities. And, and we have a lot of examples of that in Baltimore. Um, and and the, so that's, that is definitely something down the road that I'm interested in doing more of. Excellent. Excellent. And I play golf. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> and I play more golf. Yes, correct. <laughs> well, well, everyone out there in YouTube land, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. And Jane, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining Thanks, us Thanks, Steve. Today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Good talking to you.